Hello. Welcome and thank you for joining us and listening to our podcast, The God Beyond the Bible. Our podcast is released weekly each Friday. The content of each episode is based on the questions and curiosities we all have about God and the Bible. Many of our topics are considered taboo in the minds of the mainstream church. You will find our discussions to be, I think, refreshing and often far from traditional. But we don't just skirt around these complex issues, but confront them head on, and not in the way you're used to hearing them discussed on typical Christian talk shows. I'm Alan Rowland, creator and host of The God Beyond the Bible. As of the launch of this podcast, I've been a pastor for more than 35 years. My co-host is my daughter, Trayson, and our engineer, co-producer, is my daughter, Tabitha. Our mission is to encourage our audience, along with us, to open our minds to the reality that God is simply too big to be fully explored or experienced by the reading and studying of a single ancient work. In short, the Bible's not the sum of God, and to think this is to limit what He has done, is doing, and what He will do in our future. So with introductions made, thank you for listening, and let's dive into the topic of the day. Welcome, Seekers, to podcast number 67 of God Beyond the Bible, a podcast made by Seekers and for Seekers. And our hope, prayer, and desire is that in some small way, our little podcast will comfort, aid, and encourage our fellow Seekers as we all endeavor to know this exceedingly good and great force that we call God, not just merely knowing about Him in some vicarious manner. And our shout-outs today are to our listeners in Norway. We've picked up several of those, and welcome aboard. Wow, we, I wonder, do you, you got any idea how many, it doesn't matter, because I don't want, not to feed our ego, but we're in quite a few countries, aren't we, now? Over 50. That's, Over, that's all it will tell me is 50 at a time. Oh, 50 so. is as long as, high mm-hmm. as it'll tell you. Okay, all right, our quote of the week, and this will be the Dalai Lama. We can never make peace in the outer world until we make peace with ourselves. I like that. Me too. Okay, last episode, we dove in the deep end of the pool as far as challenging traditional theology goes and directed our audience to consider that Jesus' words to his disciples in Matthew 24 were all intended to inform them of one event, which was the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. We pointed out how the English translation of one single word, which is the Greek word aion, A-I-O-N, which in its intended sense means this age, was instead chosen to be translated world, and it has caused immense confusion and misinterpretation. And you know what blows my mind? In other places where it's convenient and fits the deal, it's translated age. Right. The same translators. Mm-hmm. Would- so today we'd like to kind of expand out on that thought and discover how this method of mistranslation occurred in various other places of Jesus' teachings which begins to look more like an intentional translational... It's a conspiracy. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Then an intentional translational misleading than an innocent mistake in translating the Greek to English in our modern New Testament. And by modern, we mean five, six hundred years. Right. (laughs) Uh, All right. Let's jump into segment one. There are some of us who, after listening to last week's podcast, picked up our Bibles and moored over Matthew 24 uh, and are having great difficulty applying the concepts that all that Jesus said would happen was to take place within the lifespan of many of the disciples who were clinging to his every word concerning the future of Israel and the Jewish faith to which the temple was central. 
Yeah, you know, the main reason for that difficulty is that we've been so indoctrinated with the idea that Jesus was speaking partly about the destruction of the temple and the collapse of Judaism that occurred in AD 70, and partly about some event that would take place in the far distant long future after all who were hearing his voice had been dead for thousands of years. And, this, and, and as we talked in the last yeah. deal, would that, does it, I mean, sure, we don't want for our descendants, we don't want the earth to, we don't want to do stuff that causes contaminate no. and do all the things, you know, that might, but it's, it's we, we compared it to global warming or Tracing compared it to a uh, asteroid. asteroid that they say in 5,000 years, we're mm-hmm. in line to be hit by this asteroid, 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 yeah. <laughs> asteroid. <laughs> well, I got to watch, got to watch about, well, yeah, yeah. And truthfully, you think down the road, your descendants, how many people really think beyond maybe their grandkids, grandkids, maybe? Yeah, maybe great grandkids. We know. don't have that capacity. No. And neither did the disciples to be. Why would Jesus... There, there was something about to happen terrible. Jesus knew it. He told about it. The temple's going to fall. And why would Jesus try to confuse them like C.S. Lewis yeah. yes. claims mm-hmm. that he did, that, that Jesus just made a mistake? Jesus was wrong. Oh, my goodness. That still just blows my mind. <laughs> okay. So if you guys haven't listened to our previous episode, number 66, you can go back and right, listen right, to it. Yeah. And it'll yeah, kind of yeah. guide you into this. So this confusion comes from our English translations that framed the question of the disciples to be asking, what should be the sign of thy coming? And I'm going to rephrase that, guys. The confusion comes from our English translations framing the question of the disciples like they were asking, what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the world? Instead of, what will be the sign of your coming and the end of this age? Mm -hmm. We also turned our attention to the promise of Jesus that some of the very men standing there would physically live to witness Jesus returning and fulfilling the inauguration of the kingdom age. Which I think we're living in. Mm -hmm. It began right there. That drove the death nail, the fall of Jerusalem. That ended the Jewish polity Mm -hmm. and economy. Mm -hmm. And we live in the kingdom age. Okay. We also pointed out that Jesus, while being interrogated by Pilate, was asked if he was a king. And Jesus responded with, my kingdom is not of this world, indicating that his kingdom is not of this material world, but of spiritual nature. So today we want to go a little deeper into this topic by once again pointing out where the substitution of the English word world for the, trans- for the, sorry, for the proper translation, this age, has caused us to look for a future coming of Christ to establish a, fi- a physical kingdom when this was never promised or even considered to be an option since his disciples clearly understood that the destruction of the Jerusalem temple would mark the final blow to the old covenant approach to God and usher in the kingdom of Christ, which is promised in the new covenant of grace. And with that somewhat lengthy but necessary introduction to today's topic, let's once again make a splash under the deep end of the pool. Our discussion today will be on another text from Matthew's gospel account. It will be Matthew chapter 13, verses 24 through 30, and then we will move to Jesus' private explanation of the parable to the disciples in Matthew 13, 36 through 43. That's why I was worried about yes. in the last episode. I <laughs> was worried about if I said 13 or 16 and it was okay. Now, let's let's get it straight. Matthew 13, mm-hmm. and I'm going to read verses 24 through 30. Matthew 13, verse beginning with verse 24. Another parable 
put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares. So the servants of the household came to him and said, Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tares? He said to them, An enemy hath done this. The servants said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? He said, Nay, lest while ye gather up the tares, you root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and in the time of the harvest I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares, and bind them in bundles, and burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Okay, so now that we have read the parable, let's drop down in the same chapter of Matthew 13 and read verses 36 through 43 as they read in the text, and then we'll talk about what they actually said and how we can prove it. We chose the King James Version so that we can use our Strong's Greek Concordance to make our point. What we are interested in is each time we see the word world used. Okay, now let's get our... Jesus has given them this parable of the wheat and the tares. Now they're going to go in privately, ask him. We're going to see them go in... Again, almost like they did in Matthew 24, we're going to see them privately go and ask him what he's talking about. Go ahead, Tracen. All right, so we're in Matthew chapter 13, and I'm going to read verses 36 through 43 out of the King James Version. Verse 36. Then Jesus sent the multitudes away and went into the house, and his disciples came unto him, saying, Declare unto us the parable of the tares of the field. He answered and said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is the son of man. Verse 38. The field is the world, the good seed are the children of the kingdom, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world, and the reapers are the angels. Verse 40, As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of this world. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth, then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun on the kingdom of their father who hath ears to hear let him hear okay the key word we're looking for in jesus explanation he went in the house they said explain this to us explain the deal of the tares the key word we're looking for in jesus explanation of the parable of the tares is the word world keep in mind that as english-speaking people when we see the word world our mind tends to automatically interpret it as the material world or the planet earth which is fine if that's the word that was used and intended to be translated that way now we already know that the greek word for age or era if you will is aeon a-i-o-n the greek word for world which means the material earth is cosmos with a k Jesus used both in this passage, and where he used them is essential to interpretation. The disciples had no problem understanding what he meant since Jesus spoke to them in Greek, and he used cosmos when he meant world, and aeon when he meant age or era. And this is where it gets really interesting. Jesus only used cosmos, the word that means world, one time. At the beginning of his explanation of the parable in verse 38, when he said, the field is the world, he used the Greek word cosmos, and it's properly translated as such. It's translated as the world. That's right. 
However, this is the only time in this text that he used cosmos. The rest of the time he used our friend Aeon, which should have been translated this age. Now, if you're familiar with the Strong's Greek Concordance, you can fact check and find that this is 100% fact. Mm -hmm. And I did want to say, too, if you guys do Bible study and things and you don't have a Strong's Concordance, it is an amazing little thing to have. And they have one online now, don't they? They do. You can access it online. There's an app for your phone. and Mine weighs about 20 pounds because I had to get the giant print one, and it's not very big. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. But, yeah, I just wanted you guys to know it's well worth the money. Yeah, because what it does, it takes every word in the uh, King James Version, mm-hmm. and it tells you what the Hebrew or the Greek word was and the different meanings for that word and how it should have been translated or how it could be translated. And it's great for those of us, too, that can remember a couple of words out of a verse, but you can't remember exactly. Oh, yeah. You can pick a less common word that you can remember and go find the verse. That's right. Yeah, yeah. You sure can. Okay, so we're going to pause right here to refresh, and we'll return with the second and final part of this podcast. All right, so we just established that Jesus only used the word cosmos, which means the physical earth, one time in this passage, and it was properly translated world. The rest of the times that we read the English word world, it was mistranslated from a different Greek word, aeon, which should have read age in our English Bible. Now, let me ask you something. If Jesus meant world every time, physical world, material world, why did he use two different words? Well, he wouldn't well, have. Yeah, he wouldn't. He wouldn't have. have. He wouldn't have used two different. He used two. He used cosmos, physical world, material world, and then he used the rest of the time. He used it only one time. The rest of the time, he used aeon, a i o n, mm-hmm. which means this age. Now let's reread Jesus' explanation of the parable of the field and the tares, translating it as the disciples would have heard it and interpreted it. Okay. Again, this is Matthew thirteen thirty-six through forty-three, and translated properly. Yes, thirty-six. Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house, and his disciples came unto him, saying, "Declare unto us the parable of the tares of the field." He answered and said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, or cosmos. The good seed are the children of the kingdom, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of this age. The son of man shall send forth his angels, And they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and them which do iniquity. And shall cast them into a furnace of fire, there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father, who hath ears to hear, let him hear. Can you see how, once again, the improper substitution of one English word for another can give birth to a whole doctrine of speculation Even something as big as people believing Jesus' establishment of a spiritual kingdom would be the result of the destruction of the material earth, when he himself never said that. Never said it. Mm -mm. He said the establishment of his spiritual kingdom would result in the end of this age, which was the end of the Jewish, 
Jewish age marked by the destruction of the temple, the central figure and object of the Jewish religion. Mm-hmm. Okay, and and I don't feel so bad about judging after last episode, Tabitha read us what C.S. Lewis <laughs> said, but withholding judgment as to why the English translators chose to make the decisions to cause error in the interpretation of those who would read it becomes difficult as it seems to go back more than 500 years. Mm -hmm. This just may be the single most important yet unknown piece of information that if revealed and understood would change our world understanding of what we have always considered or would change our whole world of understanding of what we have considered uh, future prophecy concerning Christ's return and establishment of his kingdom. Keep in mind, in spite of what we may have been told, there is legitimate evidence that everything that we have in our English New Testament was written prior to the destruction of the Jew- of the Jerusalem temple and was written with that soon coming event in mind. That includes the book of Revelation, which most of us have been told was written in AD 90, some 20 years after the destruction of the temple, but was actually written in about A.D. 65 or 67, just a few short years prior to the to the destruction of the temple in A.D. 70. Now, let me qualify that just for a moment. Okay. Because people say, how do you qualify right. that? You're just drawing numbers out of the air. No. They actually went back and realized that when Peter talked about the new heaven and the new earth, mm-hmm. he was getting that from the book of Revelation. He had already read the book of Revelation. He was familiar with that phrase. So, therefore, it couldn't have been written... 20 years because after. it's likely peter was one of the martyrs that died there in yeah. jerusalem or he died just prior to the fall of jerusalem so those of us who have found evidence sound evidence to support this pre-destruction date and in so doing have revisited the book of revelation with this in mind have much less difficulty in seeing why john was so elusive in his symbolism It was because he was warning the people of that age of the leaders who were going to bring about the destruction and the collapse of the temple system. Not of the least of these leaders was the vicious murder of Jews and Christians alike, Nero Caesar. And were you about to say it? Nero 666? Mm -hmm. That was the number for Nero Caesar. But I was going to say that. It's, It's proven. You can look at it and see his name. Fit. This is the number yes. of a man's name, and his number is six, six. So why was John being so mysterious? John was a real man living in a real age with a real bad guy yeah. as president. <laughs> he was exactly. a, no, no worse than president. He was, he was king. Mm-hmm. A real bad guy is king, and kings had total power. Caesars mm-hmm. had total power. Yes. Uh, John, you're not going to go out there and just stick your head on the chopping block just because you well, can. Well, I started to say John was trying to send out this message and warn people without getting himself killed if, in the process. Should this letter get picked up? He wanted it to be vague enough. He wanted it to be clear that enough that the people that lived in that age would understand it, but he wanted it to be vague mm-hmm. enough that the others that didn't understand how uh, yeah. their religion worked would, would ever know what it meant. So well, I didn't mean to cloud that up. No, it's fine. I have to quote Rob Bell on this because okay. you guys know me. If there's a Rob Bell quote, it probably came from me. <laughs> Rob Bell said, I just can't imagine the converts of John's time. I'm sorry, there's a mosquito in here. It's, it's bitten me <laughs> twice just waving already. Around. Yeah. <laughs> Rob Bell said, I just can't imagine the converts of John's time reading the book of Revelation and saying, man, this is good. I we're going to have to hold on to this for a couple of thousand years because it's going to be real handy for some folks. Yeah, that is. And that's really what we're saying happened there. 
okay, Tabitha, you're seven. What does this mean for us as believers today? I'll take it. So what does this mean for us as believers today? Instead of living in fear and dread of some coming period of tribulation and calamity, we should be enjoying the benefits, blessings, and power of living in this kingdom age where we are reconciled to the Most High and recipients of His grace, mercy, peace, love, and hope. Man, if people could get a hold of that, if if we could just... it's coming folks you're going to see mm-hmm. it's 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 gaining traction and people are getting out from under the bondage that they i mean we're we're a christian society that have we've been in bondage and we've been into bondage of people like c.s lewis yes. that intentionally will promote their doctrine before they'll even read what the what jesus yes. really mm-hmm. said so we're going to conclude this episode with a challenge the challenge is please don't close your mind and be satisfied to live in fear and confusion. Consider what we may be missing out on when we mistakenly are looking with great dread to the future for an event that occurred almost 2,000 years ago. And with that thought, until next time, may God's grace, peace, and love be on you, in you, and radiate out from each of you, our fellow seekers, from all of us here at God Beyond the Bible. Did you enjoy listening to God Beyond the Bible? Do you have an idea for an episode? Connect with us today. Visit our website at godbeyondthebible.com, all one word, or send us an email at email at godbeyondthebible.com, or you can visit us on Facebook. Just type God Beyond the Bible into the search bar.